Well, hello everyone. I think we should be live now. Uh, so let me, uh, if you guys could let me know in the comments if you can see and hear me and uh, whether I'm coming through okay. Uh, I have started the broadcast and uh, I see that Spike and uh, Tracy and Johnny and some other people are on in the comment section. Uh, and uh, okay, here we go. So I'm seeing myself on my YouTube channel here. So am I, if you guys could let me know in the comment section whether you're seeing and hearing me, that would be great. And also this, uh, this live chat box here is where uh, you will uh, be able to ask me any questions. That's where the questions go. <laughs> um, John Stewart, can I answer a rhetorical question? Uh, well, it's rhetorical, so <laughs> fire away. I have some, um, uh, okay, we have sound, good. You can see me from in Bavaria, excellent, there we go. Okay, good. So just a couple of quick notes as we get started here and people start signing on. Um, all right, I'm gonna try to answer, I'm not sure how many questions I'm gonna get here. This is the first time we're doing this, but I'm gonna try to answer them as uh, quickly as I can. Um, rather than getting into long monologues on this, uh, depending on the question, of course, but that's uh, um, that's what I'm going to try to do. And um, I will be posting this episode as a regular Q&A episode um, later today. I'll, I don't, what's this, what happens is once I stop the broadcast, YouTube will give me a copy of this, and then I will uh, download it and repost it as a regular episode. And uh, let's see, just a couple of, uh, of things to plug right away as I want to do on my critical Q&A episodes. Uh, I do encourage folks to check out my podcast, the Sensibly Speaking podcast, because um, I actually put out a lot of um, uh, work on the podcast, so I will see what I can do about that. As far as the email goes, it should have gone out. I see here, Lori, that you're saying the email never came. Not sure why that is. I had it marked to send out. It's not something I do manually. It's something YouTube sends out automatically. So maybe I missed checking a box I should have checked. Um, so anyway, all right. Well, I see that John's got a question for me here. So let's go ahead and start answering questions. Hi, Shelly, Michigan. Hey, Trish. Okay, so first question. How has being on Leah's TV show changed things for you? Uh, okay, so... Here is my answer to that. Um, it actually changed uh, a few things. Um, it gave me a lot more exposure. Uh, obviously, being on national television was pretty damn cool. Um, and of course, you know, interacting with Leah and uh, Mike Moore was was uh, was always good. But I I noticed that I immediately got a lot more attention onto my channel and onto my Twitter account, because I started um, using, I was doing live tweeting of Leah's shows when they were airing on A&E. And so that was also bringing more attention my way. And it's increased my subscribers and has uh, increased the viewership on my channel. So I was very happy about that. Um, same for when they, uh, uh, when the Church of Scientology put up a, an attack page on me, on the, on the, the site that they made to, uh, attack Leah's show that that also helped a lot. <laughs> so uh, I didn't I didn't particularly uh, 
you know, suffer uh, adverse effects from that. So, um, it, it, and also, I guess in terms of any other thing that might have changed things for me, um, it made me also try to up my game a little bit, you know, and do better at what I'm at what I'm trying to do here. So, um, you know, I think it I think it changed things in that direction, and I'm hoping that with season two there will be more opportunities for that. Uh, now that we now that we can talk about the fact that season two is happening, I thought I got a little bit of a heads up on that earlier than than most people, but couldn't really do anything with it until the word got out. And um, so now that that's uh, known that that's happening, I'm hoping that I will be able to be part of that again. We'll see. I, I have no idea what, if any, role I'll play in that second season, but I'm hoping that uh, that I can contribute in some fashion to that. All right, so let's see, we got some more coming in here. Um, okay, Justin Clark, what topics would you like to tackle on your channel or podcast in the future? Uh, anything centered around critical thinking, I think, is very important, but it's been a challenge figuring out how to, how to popularize that and make that something people want to see. It's a very important topic as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I've tried to apply critical thinking to things like this week's show on media, on my podcast, um, and giving some perspective and more information about things in that regard. Because for me, critical thinking is what saves people from destructive cults. <laughs> it certainly saved me, and I think it can help others, and that's why I'm so hot on it, and that's why I started identifying as the critical thinker at large, uh, versus maybe my channel, the ex-scientologist at large. I thought it would be more broad and embraceable and helpful to people to approach it from that fashion. So I will be doing more on that. Um, and there will definitely be some, uh, some more Scientology content coming uh, specifically um, on the, the, you know, the basics of the technology of Scientology. That's a whole series I'm going to be doing. And of course, that, uh, that e-meter video is coming there's literally the only reason it hasn't happened yet actually or because there are two technical questions that i'm still trying to get a real solid answer on um so that i can give you guys accurate information as to what that e-meter is actually doing and not doing and i don't want to do a half-assed thing i've, I've promised that this is going to be the be-all end-all on the e-meter and i have just bugged up on on two particular things that i'm that i'm getting uh answered and they're technical points. They're not Scientology technical points. They're electronic technical points. So anyway, I'm getting those sorted out, and then I will. Um, the script is, you know, halfway done already on the on the whole video, and then that will that will come out. So that's coming. And I also have some other content in regards to other destructive cults besides Scientology. Um, I want to do some more with the uh, Mormons, and I've also got some uh, more coming uh, with Christiana. Um, that I did that interview with, uh, which is the most popular video on my channel as far as views. We're going to be doing some more work with the Gothard, Duggar, uh, Christian cult uh, work that, that, uh, that she was part of. So you'll be seeing some of that stuff coming out pretty soon. All right. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, sorry, i got to get my glasses out here. Rodents. Rodent, no, no last name. Okay. Do you think Scientology's bureaucracy will collapse under its own weight and complexity as it shrinks? Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I'll say this. I think that it is definitely 
uh, unwieldingly burdensome uh, as a bureaucracy, like, you know, a lot of bureaucracies are. I mean, there's so much going on in that. In that, I made that video about Scientology's organizational madness and the whole structure of it, and it's and it is pretty uh, nuts the way the organization runs, and the way in the way it doesn't run because of all of the constant bypass and the things that go on with you know everybody having five people telling them what to do, and I think that does not that doesn't have staying power, so I don't think it's going to be able to uh, keep up with the demands that are that are put on it. Um, but I'm, I think, I think uh, as far as Scientology collapsing, I think it'll collapse under, uh, you know, the weight of David Miscavige's dictatorial control, uh, more so than the than the structural elements of of why Scientology is not working. You know, structurally, I think it could keep going for a long time if it had uh, decent leadership, um, but it doesn't. So that's you know, so it's not. I don't think it's going to last for that reason. All right, let's see. Oh, you got the email just fine. Good. All right. Uh, yeah, my stats went up. That's right. Okay. Uh, can you describe? Okay. Uh, lots of Turner. I'm, you know, it's so funny. Some names. I, I hope I'm reading these right. Lots of Turner. Can you describe the recovery work you did for the Church of Scientology? What kinds of things did you tell those folks to get them back in and active? Okay, real fast. The way the recovery drill works is this. Uh, you go, you make contact with somebody, and you basically find out from them, once you get them willing to talk to you, which might take uh, acknowledging that wrong things were done to them or with them in, in the church. I would always be more than happy to tell somebody that, you know, we had screwed up somehow. Um, I didn't go into, into that, you know, propitiation sort of thing too far because the church's official stance on things is pretty much that they never screw up on anything ever. Um, but, but as a person who was one-on-one -on -one with somebody, I didn't have a problem with, you know, listening to what they had to say, why they were upset and then saying, okay, wow, you know, we really screwed up on A, B, and C or whatever it was that had upset the person. And I'd say, you know, obviously you're upset because standard Scientology wasn't applied. And then I would try to find out this was always the, the method of it, right? Was was get what they're upset about, acknowledge what they are right about and what we screwed up on. And then, um, and this is just between me and them. This isn't like I'm, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't give them something in writing saying we screwed up or give them refunds or something like that. It was just a conversation. And then try to, then I would dig into the person and try to find out, try to get them to tell me what was it that they wanted Scientology to do for them in the first place? Why did they get involved? What did they want to accomplish? What did they want to deal with? And I would try to uh, sort of rejuvenate or rehabilitate that, that initial thing that they wanted to get from it and sort of play that up, right? And let them know, hey, look, we can still do that. We can still get that for you, whatever, wh whatever that thing was that they didn't feel that they had accomplished because that was the... The, that was their carrot, and I didn't I didn't think of it in those terms, but that's what that's what I was doing is I was finding out what was motivating them to do Scientology in the first place, and I would then say, well, we can still, you know, despite these upsets, despite these problems you've had, we can still uh, accomplish that for you. So if you still want that, we can still give it to you, right? And then I would. Um, 
just coax them into coming back in, maybe give them a free auditing session or, you know, somehow if they, you know, if they had spent money on auditing, didn't feel like they got anything out of it, you know, maybe I might try to arrange to recredit some of their auditing hours and some, you know, some kind of effort to, you know, appease or make good on whatever wrong, you know, thing we had done to them. And, um, and promise, of course, that that wasn't going to happen again, and then try to get them back in. Okay, let's see here. Um, we've got lots of, lots of questions here. So, hey, Australia and Liverpool. Um, okay, quickly here. Yes, thank you for the, uh, for the congratulations. Okay, Trish Robinson. Chris, do you believe Strict Scientology has more than 50,000 members now worldwide? No, I don't. I don't think that Strict has more than 20,000 members worldwide. I think they have shrunk enormously over the last 10, uh, 20 years. And um, I think that max the church had um, was, you know, at most probably in the 70s. I don't think they ever went above maybe 350,000 members. But they're definitely not anywhere close to that number now. Um, oh, do you think getting a Star Wars movie every year is going to get us tired of them some more of the Marvel movies? That is uh, Seiza. Um, no, I don't. I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of Star Wars movies, provided the quality is good. Um, and I know that they've only got so many planned right now because they have a new trilogy and then they have the three, you know, um, non-trilogy movies. And that's, that's, as far as I know, that's all the Star Wars movies they have planned. I guess we'll see what they're going to do after that. But um, uh, no, I don't think we're going to get tired of that. And I'm also not tired of the Marvel movies. So... That's my, uh, I, I, I can't wait for Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. I think that's going to be great. Um, do you think there should be uh, Sandy Van Bovenkamp? Do you, what do you think about a law against brainwashing? I think the hardest part about that is the wording of the law so that um, we're not, um, you know, getting people in trouble for uh, just trying to talk to people, you know, or trying to change people's minds or have a conversation. Um, so it's all about the wording of that law in order to, uh, you know, to, to, to clearly and accurately define what is undue influence or coercive persuasion and getting that into legalese so that it's clear enough that, you know, there's a line drawn as to what is and isn't okay in terms of trying to um, change people's minds or get people, convince people to do something without um, lying to them or, you know, very blatantly or overtly trying to manipulate their thought processes in a dishonest fashion. That's, that's really the key to the whole thing. Uh, okay. Um, okay, there's a question here I wanted to address. Nick, was Marjorie Wakefield correct about OSA poisoning and TR-45? Okay. Um, I don't know what Marjorie Wakefield said about OSA poisoning. But uh, I think TR-45, I think what you're referring to is uh, R-245. And that is a process that Hubbard wrote, which was a joke. Um, or at least it was put across as a joke. In the early 1950s, Hubbard wrote a, a series of processes or Scientology you know, methods that you could use on somebody. Uh, there was Route 1, R1 processes, and there was Route 2, or R2 processes. And they were exteriorization processes. The point of those was to 
um, get a person to exteriorize out of their head, you know, pop out of their body, and thereby prove that they're a spiritual being. And R245 was, uh, was a joke process of, you know, 45 caliber gun, shoot the guy in the head, and hey, that's a very effective exteriorization process, right? Because you've, you know, obviously shot and killed the guy. Um, then later, Hubbard made reference to uh, R245 as a uh, punitive action against people who were anti-Scientology. And that's, I, I think, only one place that I saw that. I, there might be more, but I, I can only say for sure that I saw that in one place is some ethics order or, or, or issue that Hubbard wrote where he was really pissed at people who were, you know, who he said were stealing his, his technology. And he said that, uh, that you know, anybody could feel free to use R245 on them, which, of course, is advocating violence against them. There's no other way to read that. And I did see that in writing, so I, so I know that, uh, that Hubbard did, did, that, did say that at least once. Um, okay, let's see. I'm just kind of going down the list here, so maybe these are random because I'm just taking them as, I, as they go. Richard uh, Karlick, what kind of music do you listen to? Do you have a favorite artist? I don't have a specific favorite artist because I listen to a, a, a wide range of music. Anything from uh, 80s, the, you know, the police sting, uh, Peter Gabriel, to, um, you know, latest top 40 stuff um, and everything kind of in between above Fleetwood Mac. Um, James Taylor back in the 70s, growing up listening to him and, and, uh, and a lot of Fleetwood Mac when I was a kid. My dad loved that stuff and James Taylor. And, and Gordon Lightfoot and that sort of thing. So that's sort of my childhood music. Um, but a lot of 80s, because I grew up in the 80s, and and, uh, and so that's where a lot of my musical tastes were developed. So, you know, Duran Duran and all that kind of stuff. But then into the 90s, I was never really big on grunge, but I liked um, uh, a lot of the stuff in the 90s. And Oh, and I like a lot of, uh, and I know this is going to get nasty comments, but I love uh, a lot of techno. <laughs> There's an artist named BT that I that I really like, uh, Paul Van Dyke, um, yeah, other other guys. Um, I can, I'm not remembering the names right now, but uh, that's kind of I, I listen to a lot of that kind of music. Um, okay, let's see. Lee Veltman, what do you know about Synanon, Est, Landmark Education, and Landmark Forms? Well, Lee, I actually answered a question about Landmark in detail on this show just a few episodes ago, so you can check that out. I don't remember off the top of my head which number it was, but it was within the last 10 episodes, um, which also would apply with Est, because Est and Landmark are basically the same thing, same guy, Warner Earhart. And uh, Synanon was pretty nasty. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Synanon, except for the fact that they put a snake in some lawyer's uh, or, or ex-member critic's uh, mailbox which is pretty nasty. Um, this is out in LA years and years ago, and I know there's a guy who advocates against them, and that was, uh, that was the guy whose who's, uh, mailbox got the snake. But I don't really know much about Synanon's uh, belief system or organizational system or what they do, but uh, obviously any group that's gonna, that's gonna do that sort of thing to their critics is uh, not a good bunch of people. All right. Uh, you're welcome, Justin, for the answer there. Um, let's see. Oh, here. Okay. Lori Pacheca. Is black Dianetics a real thing? Is it a result of the truth rundown or its own handling? I once heard a terrible story about an SMI breath nickname Scott Campbell. Yeah. 
Okay, lots of stuff in that question. Black Dianetics is a thing that Hubbard described back in 1951, 1950-51, he was talking about the misuse of Dianetics in a destructive fashion, which of course Hubbard himself kind of did, but he called it Black Dianetics and he said, I think it was sort of a ploy to, that, he, that he sort of threw out there to give people the impression that, that Dianetics was much more powerful as a, as a methodology than it really is. I mean, really, you know, Dianetics is, is just a, a sort of a, you know, recall sort of a procedure that, that has some therapeutic value for some percentage of people, but, you know, it's not universally workable. So Hubbard started putting out this idea. Uh, he, he did a lecture called Black Dianetics, and he talked about Black Dianetics, meaning using or, or reverse Dianetics, where you could use the techniques of, of, uh, of Dianetics, meaning you could knock a person out, you know, knock them unconscious, uh, and give them commands uh, in order to get them to do things, right? In other words, planting, uh, you know, like hypnotic suggestions subconsciously by knocking them out. And that would be black Dianetics or a form of, of black Dianetics. And he gave all kinds of little things you could do in order to, to, to mess with people's heads. And I think he was really sort of, you know, uh, talking, when he was talking about that stuff, I think he was talking about some of the stuff he would do uh, that he, you know, maybe behind closed doors or whatever, uh, because we know he was abusive to his, to his spouse and his kid and that sort of thing. So, um, so that was a real thing. And as, as, so it's not part of the Truth Rundown. Truth Rundown comes way later. Truth Rundown, I did a whole video on that is in the 1980s is when that was developed. Um, that uses something called false purpose rundown to, uh, to you know, track down people's uh, uh, black PR and, and evil intentions behind that black PR. And, uh, and basically it's all about, you know, introverting the person into all the, the horrible things they've been thinking and doing that caused them to criticize Hubbard or David Miscavige or that sort or Scientology. And, and it's pretty, it's pretty gross. The, the truth rundown is, is probably the most uh, single uh, coercive thing that's, that, that's in Scientology's arsenal. It's, it's really bad. Um, okay. Let's see here. Stone, Scouser, how's the new book coming along, Chris? slow. I wish I had, I, I need more time to be able to work on it and, uh, and, and continue the content on my channel. And that's why you hear me, by the way, I'll just throw this plug in now. That's why you hear me uh, throwing out, you know, requests to uh, become Patreon supporters of mine. I know, you know, it's, it's crass maybe to, to be uh, plugging myself that way, but I, I just, you know, I need you guys to know that, that you're the support that keeps me going and, um, and buys me time. And I, this, this, the work that I do on YouTube is my, is, is my main job, but it's not my only job. I have other sources of income in order to keep a roof over my head and keep my food in my mouth. So, um, I've got a lot of research done on the new book on the RPF. Um, and I've got, a, I've talked to a lot of people. I've got some great notes. I've got a good outline. I've got it really all written in my head. I've really got the whole concept, um, but I need the time to to pound the thing out, and uh, and that's been going slower than I'd like. But it, it is definitely not. Uh, it's going to happen. 
there's no way this book is not going to get written. It's just going to be a matter of how long it takes. Okay, let's see. Um, Queen D777, do you think Scientology is losing its sting, less attacking? Um, maybe if you compare what they were doing in the 70s and 80s, then yes. Uh, Scientology is significantly less influential and less um, attacking than it was back in those days, in the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s. Um, but it's still out there. Uh, the, the, it's not like the people who work in OSA are not still coming to work. And there are PIs who are hired, and there is still work that they do. And uh, as ineffective and ineffectual as it is, they're still, they're still working. So, um, so yeah, I think it's not as, as uh, rigorous. I don't think they are as rigorous as they used to be, uh, or as bold as they used to be, especially legally. Um, you know, they're not bringing suits and, and they're not bringing legal action because discovery would destroy it and miscavige. But, um, you know, but they are still a threat. And so that's is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, I answered the thing from the 50,000 members. Um, you're very welcome, Angela. Um, let's see. Okay, Casa Rio, actually they look kind of big, even they have only 25 to 50 members. What they do besides just opening empty buildings? Uh, no, they're actually really small. If you were to visit a Church of Scientology, you probably would get the idea of, you know, these really big buildings that are beautifully renovated and no one's in them at all. <laughs> or if you were to visit downtown Clearwater, you would be surrounded by Scientology buildings uh, and no one's around. Right, except some of the Sea Org members. That's Scientology. It's it's a big show. It's a dog and pony show, and that's why we know that it's collapsing because they are losing members. Um. Okay, let's see here. Leave movie. Is it true that most cult headquarters or main church are in the USA, and why is that? You think most? I can't say most. There are certainly plenty of destructive cults all over the world. Steve Hassan puts the number at about 5,000 uh, worldwide. Um, but I would definitely, I think a case could be made. Um, well, I can't, I can't speak statistically and say for sure more are in the United States than elsewhere. It would be easier for them to operate in the US than many other countries. I mean, Russia, France, Germany, they, they, they watch for and come down on these groups very quickly. Um, I think Germany does it more right than, than everybody else from what I've been seeing so far. But uh, uh, in that, you know, I think Russia is a little too oppressive and a little too totalitarian for my tastes. I don't think you can ban things the way that they're trying to do uh, successfully because then things just go underground and they're getting martyrs and, and it just prolongs the agony. But the United States is too coddling and too soft on this because of the First Amendment. And they allow these groups to get away with. Um, really far, far, far too much. We should be much more rigorous about tax exemption uh, regulation. I think that's where we lose it uh, with granting religious status to just any group that says they're a religion. Really, that is literally how it works. And, um, and I think that's why there's probably more of this kind of thing going on in the U.S. than otherwise. The, um, you know, the biggest problem that these groups have is, is keeping themselves going and growing because, uh, you know, in this, in this modern day, with Google now, 
you know, it's very hard to do the same thing that Hubbard did in the 1950s. You can't really duplicate that same pattern for very long and grow an organization, to, you know, to a very big size because people are going to investigate and find out what you're up to. Um, okay. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with this so far. Uh, Trish, thanks. Um, Oh boy, what's your best guess? Lori Pacheca is also asking, what's your best guess about how many people are currently in the hole? I know you never worked at Int or Gold, but I guess based on missing people like uh, Herbert and others. Um, Herbert, I guess you mean uh, uh, Heber, Heber Gensch? Yeah, um, there's quite a few. I mean, I think the number went up to like, a, it was reported as like near 100 or something at one time in the hole. Um, there's a few hundred people up there at the gold base, and uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were you know 100 to 150 of them in constant ethics trouble up there at uh, at the gold base. Um, I don't think they have the hole as such anymore, but I think that they because because of all the bad PR and negative press, but I think that um, that there's still uh, a lot of people up there who are under suppressive person declare. And, and in constant trouble. And that would have definitely include Heber Gensch, Guillaume Sav, uh, Ray Midoff, uh, Mark Ingber, I mean, all the guys who used to come out on stage and they're under, you know, and of course anybody else who ever crosses and scavenge in some way uh, or, you know, pisses them off somehow, which is pretty much everybody. Um, what's going on with Marty Rathman? I don't know. And, uh, and I'm not gonna conjecture. So that's kind of all I have to say about that. I've, I've, I've spoken in detail as much as I possibly can about Marty on this show and in my review of Louis Theroux's uh, My Scientology Movie. And I don't really have anything new to say about that until more something more substantive comes to light. Um, TR-45. Yeah, R245. I don't know what TR-45 refers to, Nick. Uh, Nick Oloa is asking me TR45, R245, I talked about it earlier. Um, <laughs> outlawing brainwashing is like expecting the government to outlaw its own activities. Yeah, there's a certain point there. Um, yeah, speculation. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, good. Lots of Turner, I just read your book. Did you find those affirmations that were allegedly written by Elrond as disturbing as they seem to me? Uh, yeah, I did. The affirmations of L. Ron Hubbard, which I included as an appendix in my book, uh, were extremely disturbing and very insightful at the same time as to where this guy's head was really at. And I absolutely believe that he wrote those. I have no question about that at all. Uh, okay, let's see. Bovenkamp. Uh, yeah, Sandy Bovenkamp. You know, I'm just going to say right now, my pronunciation is just whatever. Uh, okay, Skrillex, is he a member of the org? Uh, he was. I don't know if he is still a Scientologist, but he very definitely was. His parents absolutely were. Um, so he was raised with it, same way I was. And, uh, and I've heard that he still is. Beck, yes, Beck. Uh, JT is asking Beck. Yep, Beck is a Scientologist. 100% through and through. I think he's married to Marisol Nichols, who's also 1,000% a Scientologist. Um, okay, Jason Begay, let's see here. Tracy, Tracy Eric, 
In Jason Begay's video back in 2008, he mentioned target two as when LRH was. What is target two? Okay. Oh, I think he meant is where LRH is. Target two was something that L. Ron Hubbard referred to once um, in, an, in an issue uh, where he laid out the birthday game, which was a, a production game for, for orgs. And he said that when we were done with target, with this planet, with Earth, that we would move on to target two and clear another one. Okay, so we're gonna clear Earth, clear the, you know, clear, clear the planet, and then target two is whatever the next planet is that the Sea Org and Scientology are gonna go out to and deal with. And, uh, and, it, and it's not a specific named place, it's not like Alpha Centauri or something. It's just this nebulous sort of future, you know, vision that Hubbard created in order to give people the idea that there's a big, there's a lot of work to do, you know, because we have a whole galaxy to clear. So it's not just planet Earth. All right, let's see here. Uh, okay, so comment, comment there. Okay. Um, I have no idea how to say this name. Nog. Nog, Nog LV. <laughs> this is the problems of, of people's names on the internet. Uh, K-N-O-G-G-E-L-B-I. Have your views on psychiatry changed much after leaving Scientology? Yes, my views on psychiatry have changed 180 degrees since I left Scientology. I actually, um, when I first got out of Scientology uh, and realized you know, that it was a con and had gone down the rabbit hole, I then had to reevaluate my, my belief system on psychiatry and on homosexuality. That was another big issue. Um, and I did research and actually read some books and looked into psychiatry. Know what it was. And uh, sorry, my phone just got weird. Turn that down. Um, so I looked into psychiatry in some detail and read about the DSM and read some non-Scientology, non CCHR, Citizens Commission on Human Rights, uh, stuff about that and decided, oh, wow, I've had it totally wrong about psychiatry um, because, you know, it's just following what Hubbard said. And now I look at psychology and psychiatry as, as not necessarily fields that totally know everything that they're doing or that they're hard sciences, but that they are an honest effort to help more so than a, than a you know dishonest prison system or something, which is the, the narrative Hubbard would push. I don't believe that about psychiatry anymore. And I talked in a, in a recent video, I think I posted last week about uh, Scientology's totally insane recruitment methods, how we, how we really pushed that psychiatry was a control arm of the conspiracies of the global elitists to control us through lobotomies and electric shock and that sort of thing. And that's Scientology's beliefs through and through, and I dumped all of that. I don't have any any kind of view uh, that that's and that any of that is true anymore. All right, um, let's see here. He says I've also felt there was some legitimacy to their criticisms, at least when it comes to treating mental illness purely as a disease, which results in overprescribed medication. Yes, I will agree with you that that uh, psychotropics are uh, we are an overmedicated society. I think. Um, and I say that in very broad terms because I also, the, probably the biggest change of mind for me about psychiatry was realizing that there are people who do benefit without question from psychotropic medications and 
to broadly say that all psychotropics are bad, wrong, evil, or trying to destroy people is a, is a patently wrong thing to say. However, um, there are people who get on the wrong psychotropics or maybe um, there aren't good psychotropics for their chemistry or their brain setup or maybe they're just being prescribed drugs when there are other forms of therapy that might be more helpful for them. And I think that's a, it's totally case-by-case -case basis. And uh, that's how I look at that now. But I do think that, that they're, um, with a multi-billion dollar industry of, of psychotropic medications, I think there are definitely, definitely abuses uh, with that. Um, Colette J, how much do the celebrities know about the Sea Org workers and their abusive treatment? Do they know about the whole? Uh, no, no, they don't know about the whole. Um, unless they're reading the media, you know, and they find out about it. Uh, they're certainly not going to find out about that stuff within the world of Scientology. Uh, celebrities are, are given the most VIP coddled treatment you can get in Scientology, and they are, they're ensconced in a, and surrounded by Sea Org members and Scientologists who try to uh, protect them and keep them in a bubble, sort of a bubble within the bubble world. So that's, that's where celebrities, and, the, and celebrities tend to go along with it. You know, they're busy people. They got their work to do. They got their promotion to do. They got their, uh, you know, the stuff that they're doing. So Scientology is something that they think helps them in some fashion, and, and maybe to some degree it does. And so they just kind of, you know, put up a wall and don't look at anything bad about Scientology, and they don't really think about it too much. Uh, let's see here. Hey, from England. Hi, Sharon. Um, let's see. Hey, Rafaela. All right. Can you, let's see. Lori's got another question. Can you tell us how you felt the day you finally attained clear? I think you were on the RPF, but did you feel different in some way? Yeah, no, I was not on the RPF. Um, okay. Let's see here. I got, I, I achieved clear, uh, in 1993, I think it was, and I do not have it here with me, but I have a, um, I actually have a clear bracelet. I got that. I got that bracelet that they give you. Um, and I think it was in 1993 is when it's dated. And I felt great. I was on top of the world, man. For a couple of days, I was like, "Woohoo! This is the most amazing thing ever." It was great. And um, and then it went away. <laughs> and that was that. Um, and then uh, many, many, many years later, in 2004 or five, as I was, when I went to the RPF, so that was a whole different, whole different thing, two, two separate things. Uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> okay, Nag Nagelvi uh, is asking, what would it take for you to return to Scientology? Uh, nothing. There is nothing that could get me to return to Scientology. Um, Scientology wouldn't. It couldn't be Scientology for me to go back to that. There, there's, there's, no, there's nothing. Uh, let's see. Um, John, congratulations. Thank you, John. Thanks a lot. Um, sound has some issues. Okay. Um, I've, I've got my webcam here, and I'm not sure what those issues are, and I'm not sure what to do about them. <laughs> but I'm hoping you guys can hear me well enough. If I'm talking too fast, I'll try to slow down. Maybe that's messing things up a little bit. Um, Tracy Moskov. Sorry, Tracy Moskov. 
What position does that bitchy Fraser chick hold since she's always responded to the highway claiming they own it at end? Is she OSA or security? She is, as far as I know, uh, Kathy Fraser, the woman you're talking about, who's Jeff Hawkins' ex-wife, is actually uh, works in um, Division Six, the public relations division of the in base uh, there, the Gold Base, and in Hemet. And her job is PR area control, public relations area control. So her job is to maintain friendly relations with the community and the environment, and make sure that. Um, that they're, that that people around the gold base think good things about the gold base, and that there are not any problems with it. And of course, her attitude doesn't really come across that way. But that's because when she's out confronting people that she thinks are antagonistic to Scientology or are there to film them or something like that, you see the bitchy side come out because she is in attack mode. Uh, you, that's not how she would act around city council members there in San Jacinto or with the community leaders or this sort of thing. And I'm sure she's done a lot of that kind of work. Uh, I know she's, she's done work with the police department there to try to have this, uh, what Hubbard called PR area control, which is an effort to maintain such great relations with the locals and with the environment around the organization that no one would even think about attacking the organization. And if somebody did come in and attack the organization, the locals would automatically defend it. That's the whole point of doing PR area control. And as far as I can tell, she's not very good at it. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, Queen B777, what exactly does a homo novus have that the rest of us sapa don't? Um, Nothing. I mean, it's homo novus is just some Hubbard nonsense. New man, Hubbard's uh, homo novus was a term he came up with in his materials to uh, to talk about the new state of existence that Scientology creates. What you're supposed to have from homo novus is cause over life, uh, the ability to think more clearly, rationally, quickly, um, the ability to uh, not get psychosomatic illnesses or disease. Uh, and Hubbard marked up like 75% or 80% of all illnesses are psychosomatic in nature. So he was basically promising that four out of five diseases were, uh, you know, were caused by psychosomatic means. And if you became a homo novus, then you would no longer be subject to those things, right? So you're supposed to be healthier and happier. And, uh, you know, everything was supposed to be just peachy keen for you for the rest of your life. And you would live happily ever after. Right. All right. Um, okay, Ascari Navarro. How would you compare your life now than when you were in Scientology? You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. It's night and day. I love my life now. And I love the fact that I'm able to have a life now that is mine. I had uh, normalized so much behavior and so many controls and so many rules and regulations over my life that I thought that was normal. And now that I'm leading a, a life that is much more, you know, what, what anyone would consider normal. I, you know, I work, I have a place, I do grocery shopping, I go out and take bike rides, and, you know, all the stuff that people do to, 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 to live their life. Um, you know, I have a great relationship now. Um, that's living, you know, and I wasn't really living before. I was, 
uh, I don't know. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a not fun existence, um, sacrificing everything that I wanted to do or have or be uh, for what I thought was the greater good. You know, that's why I was doing it. You know, I wasn't, I was I certainly wasn't in it for the money. And, uh, and I wasn't in it because I was having a great time. I was doing it because I thought I was helping people. And, and, I, and I was helping a lot of people uh, in a lot of ways. But, uh, but mostly I was helping David Discavage with uh, making money, you know, and that's not, not anything that I wanted to have any part of. And now that I don't, and now that my life is not all about that model at all, it's all about a whole different thing. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm helping people more. I feel like I'm doing more. I feel like I'm putting things out there uh, in my writing and my videos that that are a permanent thing that can help people forever, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I don't expect anybody to be etching my work on titanium plates, <laughs> but, but it is, you know, there is a certain um, immortality that you, you know, you get as a writer and as a, as a content creator and, and it's a, uh, and it's good to know that I'm putting something out there now that I'm doing that's all mine. That is my creation that is positive and, and helpful to people. And that's, that's, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. So, um, so that's how my life compares to how it used to be. Um, okay, let's see. What do we got here? Uh, thanks for the congratulations, by the way, guys. Um, Fred Phlogiston, do you see some analogies between the Nazi conspiracy that Jews are the fault for all evil during all the human history and the psychiatrists, psychos, in Scientology? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's the same kind of same kind of mentality, same kind of crazy thinking. You know, Jews are not at fault for anything going on in the world any more than any other group is. Uh, you know, and same with the psychiatrists. I mean, it's just a it's just Hubbard scapegoating a bunch of people and knocking the competition. I mean, Hubbard's whole effort to take out psychiatry was really him just trying to take out the competition. So, you know, whatever. He's just, the guy's just a, he's such a doofus. Uh, okay, Mark and PM. Um, happy 100s. Do you think Scientology schools in the USA, Delphi, etc., cripple the education of young born-ins as much as Greenfields demonstrably does here in the UK? Um, yes, I do. I think that Scientology-based or Scientology-centric schools are inherently flawed because they're based on uh, or around the works of L. Ron Hubbard. They indoctrinate on how great Hubbard is and was and, and how good his works are, and they miseducate because they, they actually educate children in Hubbard methodologies. Study technology, I don't really have that big of a problem with. I have a little bit of a problem with it when they go too extreme with the word clearing and stuff. And I'll, I'll, I'll be talking about that in some future videos. But, um, but there are other things that Hubbard has, has said or done. The ethics system, for example, right? All the, the knowledge reports and, you know, and all the, the spying on each other and, and reporting on each other and this sort of environment of, of, of fear and, and control. I don't think that's healthy. Um, and there's other covered works that, that the kids at these Scientology schools are uh, indoctrinated with. It's just false nonsense. I mean, there's something called the data series, which is Hubbard's uh, logic system. He actually wrote a, a series of policies about how to think, literally, how to think and how to do logic. And it's just, you know, it couldn't be more, more knuckleheaded. 
So, um, so I think indoctrinating kids into that kind of thing is, is not uh, no good. No good at all. I cannot believe how much time has passed. Wow. Okay, so we're going to keep going a few more questions here. Um, okay, has anyone, okay, Barbara Ann, has anyone ever thought of setting up fund or gateway house for those leaving the Sea Org? Um, I've actually answered this question before on my channel, but I will address this real fast. Um, yeah, there are resources and there are people who help, but this is not publicized or broadcast in any way. Uh, it's all underground railroad type stuff because uh, otherwise OSA would come after and try to destroy anybody who was trying to help ex-Sea Org members or ex-Scientologists. I think the uh, end phenomenon of the RPF is the opposite of clear, says a happy kitten. Uh, yes, I think you're absolutely, in fact, I know that you are absolutely right. Um, okay. Uh, okay, John, thanks for that about universal medicine. Um, Stella Bella, do you think Tom Cruise could ever end up on the RPF? No, the RPF is for Sea Org members. Uh, public people and celebrities and, and, and staff Scientologists do not do the, the Rehabilitation Project Force, or what's called the RPF. It's Sea Org only. So Tom Cruise will never, ever uh, end up on the RPF. And uh, my mom is commenting, the sound cleared up when your phone went off. Okay, great. Uh, okay, Fred Flogiston, have you got perfect memory after clear? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, serious question, or have you maybe become disappointed not to get it as long as you believed in Scientology? Yes. Uh, to be honest, totally honest with you, a lot of disappointment. One of the reasons I was so, so angry when I went down the rabbit hole after leaving Scientology, after leaving the Sea Org and, and finding out about the con of it all, was the, was the crushing uh, disappointment that I'd been living this lie, and not just living a lie in terms of my servitude, but that all the, the hopes and dreams and ideals that I had been striving to attain personally and for everybody else in the world was all just bullshit. That, that really sucked. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe how, how crushing that was. To so firmly believe that there is life after death, that, that there is no end, that we continue on, that there is rehabilitation possible so that we can achieve a godlike state, and then find out, yeah, you got taken for a ride, dude. Like, that is, it's the disappointment it doesn't even begin to describe the depths of, of how, that, how that felt. And, uh, and that has uh, been something I've been getting over ever since. Okay, let's see here. Um, yes, uh, celebrities don't want to give up status. Um, do you feel, Karen Alcantara, do you feel the Scientology beliefs led to the death of John Travolta's son? And if you don't want to address this, do you know of anyone who has on YouTube or elsewhere? Um, no, I don't, I don't know, because I wasn't privy to the inside workings of how his son was treated or dealt with with Scientology versus medical treatment. So I don't think it's really smart for me to conjecture about that. Um, and I don't, I mean, there's a lot of people who have conjectured about it. You can just Google it. Uh, you'll find 
you know, whatever there is to, to find out about Jet Travolta's death and, and how Scientology contributed to that. But it's all conjecture. You know, nobody has any hard facts about that because John Travolta and Kelly haven't said anything about it that I know of. Um, Amanda Burke, do you ever get triggered by certain topics around your experiences in Scientology? Um, I think I used to more than I do now. Um, I triggered, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think I used to be very, I think I used to be more uh, easily upset or, um, or angered, you know, by certain things, the loss of people, of friends, and, and you know, my, my ex-fiance, and, and the problems that I used to, to have getting over all of that. That used to be pretty, you know, kind of, kind of triggering, I guess you could say. But, um, but I, I, I don't really feel that way now. I feel like I've been able to let go of a lot of that. Okay, so we're going to have to uh, wrap this up pretty soon here. Um, so quickly, Donna Donald, do you ever see people lured back in after waking up? Uh, well, if somebody actively does recovery work with them like I used to do, then, then I've, I've heard of a couple cases of that. But generally speaking, no. You know, once somebody's like snapped out of it, and especially once they've educated themselves about Hubbard and what Scientology is really all about, they never go back. That's, that doesn't happen. At least not that I know of. I've never heard of that. Um, and let's see, Nicole Kidman has been cast uh, in, with stars Elizabeth Moss, who's an active Scientologist. Do you find this unusual since Nicole is an SP? Um, I don't know that Nicole Kidman was officially declared a suppressive person, which is why Elizabeth Moss would be able to work with her. So, um, you know, is it unusual that they're cast in the same show? No, not really. From Hollywood's standpoint, no. As far as Elizabeth Moss being willing to do it, um, you know, if, she, if Nicole's not a declared suppressive person, and I don't think she actually is, um, then there wouldn't be a problem. Uh, obviously, they're not gonna be discussing Scientology or Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay, um, and are there still ins who contact you? Queen B777, this will be the last question I take up here. Um, yes, I do get contacted by people who are still in Scientology or who, um, but very rare though, very, very rare. Uh, more often, I'm contacted by people who have left Scientology and have um, looked at my work and had that, that contributed in some fashion to their leaving. And that's always extremely gratifying for me to know that I'm, that I'm helping uh, people out of that situation. Because at this, at this point, that's, that's pretty much all I can ask for is, is try to help them out or uh, keep people from getting involved with it in the first place. Okay, so uh, we are down to the last five minutes. So I'm going to uh, start wrapping up here. I really, this was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, I was really nervous about it, but this actually came up, this, this went pretty well, I think. Um, I wanted to, again, just sort of let everybody know um, that uh, I got a lot of great content. I have over 300 videos now. I just saw this yesterday. I, I've been saying over 200, but it's actually over 300 videos on my channel now, and it's just going to keep going. Uh, I really appreciate all of your support and, um, you know, the acknowledgments and the comments and, the, and the, 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 the views and everything you guys do and the liking my videos and sharing them. 
um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of this and, uh, and, and know how lucky I am to be able to do this uh, for you guys and, and for me. And, and I just don't really feel like I get to express that often enough. Um, and uh, yes, thanks. You're, you're very welcome, everybody. Uh, and again, you know, just um, Patreon man, you know, PayPal, whatever, anything you guys can do to help support my work uh, is, again, super, super appreciated and helps me to, uh, to do more of it. Okay, so with that all being said, I'm going to get out of here. This will be posted later, I think today or tomorrow, as my 100th episode. And next week, we will continue with, a, with the regular format. But you guys also let me know, um, you know, that you guys who participated or people who would like to maybe do more of this, if you want more uh, live episodes, YouTube is very facilitating of live streaming these days. And this was not hard to set up. So, um, so if we want to do more of this, then uh, we can. Okay, and I'm seeing tons of thank yous, and you all are very, very welcome. I will talk to you guys again soon. Okay, bye-bye.